फ्रॉम इंडियाज लार्जेस्ट न्यूज रूम आई मारून जॉर्ज एंड दिस इज द टाइम्स ऑफ इंडिया पॉडकास्ट Occasionally, we'll be reaching back into our archives to pull out an episode that we think is still particularly relevant. Today's episode is one of them. Happy listening. That gentlemen, if you want love your children, and you want to give them happiness or money or whatever, by all means do it in your lifetime. But what you will give them beyond their immediate requirements presumably after your death don't give it today put it in your will they will get it after your dead they won't be able to put you on the road so this is my advice to you my experience of my life never give what ought to be given after your life during your life because then you are left with nothing at 83 flamboyant industrialist and aviator vijaypat singhania continues to make news the businessman who made raymond a byword for suiting in india is just out with his memoirs it's called an incomplete life his son gautam singhania had sought to restrain publication But last week the Bombay High Court lifted the stay. The washing of public linen in the book, claims of denial of access to grandchildren and of accommodation in one of Mumbai's plushest vertical palaces is the stuff that would make it to the script of not just Bagban but equally as one of the episodes of Succession. Vijaypat Singhania, who has been a Padma Bhushan and also the former sheriff of Mumbai, called his decision to gift his entire 37.17% stake in Raymond to Gautam Singhania as the biggest mistake of his life. In this interview to my colleague Sunil Baghel who has reported extensively on the bitter legal feud between father and son, he also speaks about why he did not bequeath the business to his eldest son Madhupati. But Vijaypat then soon shifts the register from sadness and anger to unbridled joy as he also recalls his glorious days as india's record setting aviator when a person who is associated with the tagline of the company the complete man the person under whom this tagline was launched be made famous became famous when that when that person comes up with a book which has this as a title the incomplete man or an incomplete life the first question that comes to any lay person's mind is that why would a person like you choose such a title my title an incomplete life had much to convey about my life i have written very little about it in my book by saying that every person to complete his life needs an association with his grandkids not necessarily his kids which has been denied to me my grandkids have been forbidden to see me which i think i'm sorry to use the word i think it is criminal 
it is not a civil act it's criminal because i can give so many interpretations to it why is he doing it what is he gaining out of it he made a 36 story building to give to us he has given a written undertaking to the municipal corporation to get the extra FSI and get the high-rise committee's approval. What did he do? He went to the shareholders for under the wrong section 188 of the Companies Act and said this should be, the agreement should be rejected. And the shareholders with one voice said rejected. He, he has behaved so atrociously that uh, I'm ashamed that he's my son. I don't want to call him my son. So this title has a lot to do with the contents of the book. It has nothing to do with the logo of the company. A complete man from Raymond's point of view is to define that the clothing that we are providing you make you a complete man. Whereas my book has nothing to do with clothing. My book has to do with my life. I say, give one example that I have been deprived of the company of my grandchildren whom I love very deeply. But that is only one of them. There are many other things. Tell us, tell us about those, at least a few. I chaired Raymond for more than 20 years. When I left, I decided to give my shares to Gautam. This is not the behavior of a son to a father. A father who has given him his life's earnings. What I am left with is by mistake. I would have been on the road begging for money. But because I forgot this some amount of money, I am able to survive today. How to describe it? Uh, this is what makes a life incomplete. If your children don't behave with you, in fact, I wanted to go to court with uh, another uh, under under uh, uh, section 23 of the Senior Citizens and Parents Maintenance and Welfare Act 2007, but uh, things happened too fast and the time didn't come. I said, what am I fighting for? If it is his destiny to take away everything, I can't fight destiny. He prefers to live in a 36-story building alone. And he promised this to me in writing and my two nephews, that he will give us accommodation there of the same size as we had in the old JK house. What happened? I never expected a Singhania to behave like this. What went wrong according to you? Like, apart from you uh, giving away all your shareholding? You asked me a very delicate question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. There were a few instances in the past when I should have understood his real nature. For some reason, I refused to understand. But he gave me several indications 
that he will behave like this. And I just ignored them. He's a very diplomatic person. But once he had the power, his real self came out. He didn't change. Because when I look back, I have seen many instances on the basis of which I should never, ever have given him everything. In fact, my best advisors told me what you want to give him, give him in your will, not in your life. I didn't listen to them. I ignored it. If I had followed that, I would not have been sitting here without a roof over my head. But if that is destiny, that is destiny. So what, what made you, what prevailed over you for having given away everything? It's a very stupid answer, but I will give you. One day I asked his wife, Nawaz, Nawaz, why doesn't Gautam work? Can't you push him to work more? He runs away and does his own thing. She said, Papa, he's uh, very scared that you might give away everything to your elder son. That stuck in my head. I said, no, I'm not going to let Gautam feel so insecure. Let me give everything. It is the stupidest reason on my part. But then we all do stupid things in life. Tell us something about your, uh, your elder son now. And I don't know if there is, if that is what Mr. Gautam Singhania is indicating towards, but he has in the past said that you, you are being motivated to fight with him. And there are, there are relatives who probably want to extract money out of you. That's all bullshit. Nobody instigated me to fight with him. He is fully responsible for it. He wanted to fight with me because he wanted to throw me out. Such is life. Madhupati was a little angry with me for giving away Raymond to Gautam. He was expecting being the elder son to get it himself. But I didn't feel that Madhupati will be able to run it. I felt that this boy will have greater capability of running it. I have another child, my daughter, who is very, very devoted to me. And uh, she does everything to help me in my life. So last year and a half, two years, I've been trying to make up with Madhupati. And I think to some extent I have succeeded. He lives in Singapore, but whenever he comes to Bombay, he meets me. And uh, sometimes you go out to the club to have a drink or something. So I think uh, things are improving with him, but he's also very short-tempered. <laughs> and his greatest grievance is, why did Raymond go to this fellow? In fact, he has broken many of his, these things. I said, why, how did this break? He says, I keep hitting the wall, thinking I'm hitting Gautam. This is true. They have become flat. 
because he hits very hard. He's very strong. I would never like to get into a fight with him. But he's a nice boy. He's a very honest guy. But unfortunately, he doesn't have the uh, mood to run a company. Even when I had given him my cement company and polyester company, he used to play on the computer all the time. He's an expert on computers. So I didn't get the feeling that... Uh, I used to call the pune, Saab kya kar raha hai? Saab wo computer pe khel raha hai. So all the time he was on the computers and it didn't give me the feeling that he would be, sorry to use the word, capable of running a company. It takes a lot more than running a computer to run a company. But away from his business empire and the stories of his feud with his son, Vijaypat Singhania is best known for his great love for flying, which was spurred by watching GRD Tata commemorating the 30th anniversary of Tata Air Service's first flight from Karachi to Mumbai with a solo flight in a leopard moth plane in 1962. Here, Vijaypat Singhania recounts how he set three world records in aviation, including his last at the age of 67, flying in a hot air balloon. It also evokes an age when the passion and dedication of amateur flyers helped Indian aviation take its first baby steps. I have three records. Yes. I don't know if they're still there or they have been overtaken or whatever. A very funny thing used to happen. Whenever I traveled from Santa Cruz Airport, sometimes Sometimes, I used to see JRD sitting on the railings when you get into the parking way on the railings. And I used to stand there and watch and see what the hell is he doing? I never could answer that. A few, maybe a year or two back, after this, there was a function at Juhu Airport, which JRD was to inaugurate by flying a leopard moth single engine from Karachi to Bombay. Around, it should have been around 1958, 59, something like that. And all the Air India girls were there. We were all looking at them and saying, wow, this is what flying gets you. Then GRD came out of this. I went to look inside. That put a lot of uh, Air India's Boeing instruments in it for him to fly from Karachi to Bombay. And there were so many people admiring him. And that's where it started. Then I used to go to Bombay Flying Club and sit there whole day. Do nothing. I said. And I used to see these students going in the Piper Super Cub and do flying. So I went to the secretary. He was a crackpot Parsi. 
ACP Vadia, big fat guy. But everybody was scared of him. So I told him, sir, I want membership of the flying club. I want to learn flying. He said, how old are you? So I told him, I'm born on 4th of October, 1938. But I'm 15 days short of becoming a 21-year-old. He said, get out. Get out. So he just walked out. On the 4th of October, I went to him. Sir, I have completed 18 years of age. So he gave me a form to fill up. And on 15th of October, 1959, uh, 21, I was 21. On 15th of October, 1959, I went with one of the instructors for my first flight. And that's how it started. I completed uh, 250 hours and did my flying test and became a commercial pilot. I was already a private pilot. Then there was no looking back. I said, now I've become commercial pilot. Now I want to become senior commercial pilot. I think it used to be 750 hours. I said, I can't do that on the flying club planes. So I went to Delhi, Delhi Flying Club. Captain Vasan was the chief instructor there. I went there, sir, I want to buy a small aircraft. He said, do you have the money? I said, sir, depends on how much you want. He said, see that Cessna 172 standing there? I'm willing to sell that. I said, sir, for how much? He said, 92,000 rupees. I said, 92,000? Where will I get that much? Anyway, then I collected 92,000 and bought my first aircraft from Delhi Flying Club called the Cessna 172. It was a wonderful aircraft. And I would just go any time and fly anywhere trying to build my hours. Then there was a friend of my father who used to be very friendly to me. We used to go shooting shikar. So one day he was sitting and having a drink. So I said, uncle, uh, I'm looking to buy another aircraft. And uh, Madhya Pradesh government have two small aircrafts, twin engine. Up till now I've only done single engine. He said, Shamacharan Shukla, he's the chief minister, isn't he? I said, yes, sir. He picked up the phone, called Shamacharan Shukla. Shamacharan, you've got two spare aircrafts. So he must have said, I have a Beechcraft and a Morava, a Zek aircraft and an American. He said, will you sell them? So Shamacharan said, who wants to buy? He said, a friend of mine. He said, will he have eight lakh rupees? I remember the figure. He said, do you have eight lakhs? I said, I don't have, but I will get. He said, yes, bought. And later on, I was told that three Dakotas were lying like junk at Safdarjang airport. 
Mr. Bhagisrani used to be the commercial director of Indian Airlines. So a friend of mine knew him. He took me there. I met Mr. Israni. I said, Mr. Israni, you have three Dakotas sitting there with holes in them, 200 holes in each of them. Would you like to sell them? He said, uh, let me think. I said, shall I wait outside? He said, no. I'll sell them for 50,000 each. And you have to pay me 50,000 also. So each aircraft cost me one lakh. So for three lakhs, I got three Dakotas. I said, how the hell do I start them? I've never flown a Dakota. So in Bombay, there was a workshop called Airworks, which is still there. His son is running it, Sahu Menon. B.G. Menon was the big guy. And if he couldn't do anything, nobody in the world could. He was such an expert. So I told him, I said, I've got two, three pretty Dakotas. He said, let's go to Dubai, uh, Delhi and see. So he went and saw. He couldn't even move the propeller. He said, yeah, this should be flyable. I went inside, there were dead rats. All the seats were eaten. He said, you'll have to live with this. In seven, eight days, he prepared one Dakota and he started the engine. And then he sent the two engines to HAL Bangalore for overhaul. And he said, I'm going to overhaul the whole aircraft. He overhauled the whole aircraft. Put the engines back. He said, go and fly. I said, I'm not authorized to fly. He said, I will check you out. He checked me out. He said, okay, I think you need a few hours. I'll give you an instructor who will train you. So maybe five or 10 hours I flew on it. And he gave me a license for the Dakota. Then he said, let's go and get the other one. So the same way we got the second aircraft, we got the third aircraft. That time Indian Airlines was on strike. I said, what do I do with these three bloody aircraft? So I said, I'm going to replace some of the areas where IAC used to operate. Uh, Bombay, Bhavnagar, Bombay, Aurangabad, Bombay, Goa, Bombay, Ahmednagar, Nasik, Devlali. So I started these. Then one day, I said, I want to operate to Surat, but there was no airport at Surat. So the gov governor of Gujarat was Sriman Narayan, Gandhian, dhoti pantete kurta. I went to him, service to Surat, Bombay Surat, Surat Bhavnagar. He said, do it. I said, there is no airport. He said, wait. He called his secretary. Called the hydraulic engineer of Surat to meet me tomorrow morning. He said, go, come tomorrow morning. So I was there in the morning, hydraulic engineer was waiting there. He said, uh, I don't remember the exact date, but somewhere, it was 8th of February that year. He said, listen, 
Today is 8th of February. I'm going to inaugurate an airport in Surat on 15th of March. He said, sir, in one and a half months, you want me to make an airport? He said, this date is fixed. Get out. And every 8, 10 days, 15 days, I used to go to Surat by, by car and uh, see the progress. 4,000 people were working on that runway. And they had to make it according to DGCA's specifications. On 14th of March, I went there. The airport was ready. I set up a small stage and a puja and everything. And I flew down on my Dakota to Ahmedabad. I went to Rajbhavan. I said, sir, I have brought my aircraft to take you to Surat. He said, chalo. His security said, sir, you can't travel in this private aircraft. He said, shut up. I'm Came, I brought him to the airport, put him in my Dakota, and I was the captain. I took off. He landed in Surat. So we parked the aircraft at one end of the runway. And uh, he did the puja. He said, your airport is ready. Tell us something about the records. My first record was a solo flight in a microlight aircraft from London to Bombay. A microlight is made mainly of wood and paper. The only metal is the engine. And uh, it is supposed to fly within five miles of a runway. So I went and ordered a microlight. That fellow said, where do you want to go? I said, I want to take it to Bombay. Dave Cook is the designer of this aircraft. So I told him to put red strips on the top of the wings. He said, why? I said, because I'm going to pass water seven times. Somebody should see me if I'm in the water. So he put big, thick red stripes on the top. And he built me an aircraft. And I did the flight from London to Bombay. Then there was a Frenchman. He used to uh, do some aviation sports. So he announced that I am going to do a round the world air race. But all kinds of aircrafts are permitted. So people said, how can you put a twin engine against a single engine? He said, no, no single engines because safety is more important. And no aircraft will fly with one pilot because you're flying through the busiest corridors of the world. But I will look at the manual of each aircraft and see what is their rated speed. And I will call that one. And uh, there was another guy in the similar aircraft 
who had illegally souped up his engines. We were thinking of complaining against him. But we said, no, if I have to win, I'll win. So we didn't complain. And we were running neck to neck on timings. It's like, a, if you've got 100 miles to go and your speed is 50, you should do it in two hours. If you take two hours, 10 minutes, that is held against you. So you get negative points on that. So at the one airport before the last, there was another woman who was in a smaller aircraft. I dived under her and landed. She abused me after landing. She said, how can you do that? I said, this is a race. It's not a game. My flight was called Tiger because that's what my girlfriend was called. She used to call me Tiger. So my co-pilot and me, we both wore Tiger costumes with a big tail sticking out at the back and went to take our prize, the FAI gold medal, Federation Aeronautic International, which is the highest medal in, in aviation. But they all came nevertheless and I won. So that was my second record. Then one day I was sitting with Brian Milton, the guy whose record I had broken. And we were having a drink in London. I said, Brian, Brian said, VPS, what next? I said, what next? There's nothing left. He said, there is. I said, what? He said, highest altitude in a hot air balloon. And I've landed in the middle of land, but I never thought of. I said, what is the present high altitude record? He said, 65,600 feet. And you have to beat it by minimum 5%, which means almost three and a half, four thousand 4,000 feet. I said, I've never flown out. So we started our training. We did training in London. We did training in France and various places. So there were two instructors, ladies. They were te teaching me hot air balloon flying. But it was a very small balloon. For going to 70,000 feet, these balloons were no good. So we went to Don Cameron, who is the biggest balloon builder in the world. He's still alive. He is in, uh, in Bristol, near Bristol, in, in UK. I went to him. Very fine man. He had by then made about 10,000 balloons. I said, Mr. Cameron, I want a balloon to go to 70,000 feet. He said, sure, no problem. But it will be a very big balloon to take so much hot air. It was a very expensive balloon. The largest balloon ever built in the world was my balloon. We announced a date. Where will we take off from? Bombay.
race course. 20,000 people came to see this happen. So they assembled the whole balloon here. Around 10 past six or something. They said, my balloon was fully upright, but it was held tight. It required three or four trucks to hold it down. And then they said, okay, we are releasing you. I said, go. They cut the cables and I was out. I had a camera on board. I had telephone, satellite telephone. Nothing worked. They all failed. When I took off, the cables which were running around holding my igniters, they had cut the igniter cables. So most of my burners failed. 18 burners all failed. But because there was so much heat at the ground level, it kept on climbing. It drifted towards the sea. Then they called me on the radio, my people. They said, what the hell are you doing? You want to land in the sea? I was not concentrating on my altitude. I said, oh shit. So I, all my burners had failed. I told them all burners have failed. They said, goodbye. So I had an emergency burner installed, which you use when you're coming in to land to slow down your descent. I suddenly thought, I opened my emergency burner. That was polypropylene. So I could burn it immediately. And then my descent, which had come down to about 1,000 feet. In another minute or so, I would have gone in the sea. And those hot air balloonists who have gone in the sea have never come out alive. So that would have been my last day. So then it stabilized and started slowly climbing. At around 62, 64,000, it stopped climbing. And I had a glass on top. So when I looked up, I saw dark blue, black sky with stars. And I looked from the side window, it was bright sunshine. So I told these guys, they said, you idiot, don't you know? You're looking in space. I said, oh shit. I didn't know I was looking in space. So on top was space. And here was ground. It was a very unbelievable experience. So I climbed in steps. It's called step climb. Because you don't want to do too fast a climb. Because then the balloon is pressing against the air. And the air is pushing the balloon down. So you have to climb slowly. So anyway, at six, I told them, I said 62, 64. I don't think I'll go higher. They said, don't give up. So I kept on trying and looking out of the window. I couldn't see anything because there was thick uh, uh, pack of ice on my window. It slowly climbed, got stuck at 65. Again, the same chakkar, dhire dhire, chalao. I finally reached 
open after a few thousand feet because it becomes very speedy, it may break. So slowly I came down. I reached over Sai Baba temple. So I said, Baba, I can't land on your temple. I'll die. Take me out of here. I had his murti on my table. My balloon turned and went towards Nasik. All that ground is flat ground. So by that time, my two helicopters had taken off to come and pick me up. I said, listen, you guys, keep at least three miles away from me. If you come near me, my balloon will burst, I'll die. It will fall like a rock. No, they said, no, we are keeping away. I said, also, keep me away from obstructions. They said, sir, your biggest obstruction is high-tension wires. I said, you keep me out of that. Now, I couldn't go left-right. I could only go up-down. This was all wind. So the wind took me away from the high-tension wires. They said, you are very close. So I would open my burner and climb a little, cross the wire, again go down. As soon as I came, they had told me that your balloon will be dragged for at least 10 miles. I said, we'll see. So I had a special instrument to cut my cables, which were holding my balloon and my capsule. My capsule was a stainless steel capsule. So it was a matter of judgment. I could have been wrong. But when I felt that I was coming quite close, I fired my cutters. So the balloon flew off and I just sat on the ground. I went that deep in the ground and it slowly fell down. But some kerosene fell out and caught fire. So some friends came and started shouting, uh, there's fire, fire. I said, come on. So they opened the top hatch and pulled me out. I said, where's my balloon? They said, there. So I sent my guys out to get the balloon. They had to roam around for six hours before they found the balloon lying in a field. And most of the farmers had cut open pieces and it was selling in the shops for shirts and saris and blouses and all that kind. This is India. They don't care for a world record, but they just cut open. Some portion of the balloon they left because it has a very large volume. So we finally got that down and put it in the museum in London. 
it was there for almost three years or something. How would you like to be remembered? I would probably like to be remembered as a very bold aviator. I think I've done good job in industry, but aviation was my biggest passion. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.